Thank you, Russ. If we think that uh, once a month communion with Christ is sufficient for communion, as Russ shared, it's not. He wants our heart every minute of every day. And similarly, to think that giving him our Sunday is all that he's asked for. He wants every day of your week. Um, as Russ was, was sharing there and said, let's take a moment to examine ourselves. In light of the message that I have for you today from Romans chapter 4, I'm led to believe that we don't often examine deep enough. We have an idea of what examining ourselves is, maybe based on some rubric we gave ourselves years ago, and that's still how we evaluate ourselves when we decide to examine. But I would suggest to you that every time we examine ourselves, we need to go another, another layer deeper to let God reveal to us things that are deep down inside us that we need to repent of. Um, I say that because of the work that God's Word has done on me this last two weeks as I've been preparing to present here to you what God would share with His people from Romans chapter 4. So let's go there to Romans chapter 4. And I know that we're, we're pushing the envelope on time here today, but if you'll just, if you'll give me about 25 minutes, I think that this, you'll find that it's worth it to have invested your time this way this morning. In chapter 4 of Romans, as we continue our journey through the book, we find um, a couple, of, like one big theme runs through this chapter. It centers around a man named Abraham. It centers around his faith and how that faith that he had was counted to him as righteousness. In verse 3 it says, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And throughout the chapter we see that theme, that Abraham had faith. It was counted to him as righteousness. It is by faith. It is through faith. He received things by faith. By faith, Abraham, Abraham. And it goes through. The thing I want you to make note of is that down at the end of chapter 4 in verses 23 through 25, it says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This faith that is spoken of of Abraham in Romans chapter 4 is the same faith offered to us with the same promises with the same justification and the same peace with God that Romans speaks of in the following chapters. Faith is spoken of 18 times in these 25 verses. Often when you read Scripture, if you encounter a word is repeated, it might be a good idea to pay attention to it. So let's read chapter 4 just with, and then just kind of check off every time it says faith. Now faith is translated a couple different ways in this verse, in this passage. It's the Greek word pistuo, which is faith, believing, trusting. It's translated different ways throughout Scripture. And there's actually one word of, one use of the word faith or pistuo with an A at the beginning of it, which means not. It's negated. And that's where the word unbelief down in verse 20. So let's read chapter 4 together. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? 
For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes, that's the second use, in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. In this blessing, then, only for the circumcised, is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he already had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was not to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. There's a repetition of another word in that chapter, that, I, that portion we're not going to talk about today. Um, verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed, had faith, against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told so shall your offspring be he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of sarah's womb no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of god but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for, for us. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. God help us this morning. God, help us to see what faith is. Help us to see from the example of Abraham what it meant that he had faith and had such faith that it was counted to him as righteousness. For there is a faith that we think we understand that would not lead to righteousness because we don't understand the type of faith you're asking us to have. It's not simply a mental assent, Lord. This is not just an acknowledgement of truth that, yes, sure, I believe it, but this is a faith that, that is a persuasion and a conviction that leads us to action. God, help us to see that this morning in your word. 
Help your Holy God, your Holy Spirit, help us to let this truth sink into our beings. In Jesus' name. So what is faith? Any ideas? Tell me you've got a scripture that tells you what faith is. What is faith? Yeah, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The, the, the address for that verse is what? Hebrews 11.1. 1. All right, so we got some Bible folks in the house. That's good. You know your Bible. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance or substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What a beautiful theological definition. Do we dare break it down? This faith, This faith in Christ assures us of things we have not yet seen or realized. We believe there is an eternal reality that waits for us beyond this life. Amen? It's waiting for us. Have you seen it yet? No. But you believe it's there. You have faith that that thing is real. How many of you have met Christ face to face in the flesh and gave him an elbow bump to greet him? No, you've never seen Christ... But unlike Thomas, who had to feel him and touch him and see him, you have faith in what you never saw. You have faith in what you have not yet seen. This is faith. This is faith in Christ that assures us of eternal life, assures us of blessings that have not yet happened to us. This faith is required for salvation, right? If if, if all that you have in your mind is this, yeah, I heard a story about Jesus dying on the cross and... You know, that's the church thing. And I, you know, I kind of believe it too. That's not the faith. That's knowledge of something that maybe you think it's true, but you're not really convicted of it. You're not persuaded to truly follow that teaching. We need to have a faith that persuades us, that convicts us of what's true. This faith is required for salvation, for salvation comes through faith. This faith is required for us to have hope. Yes, faith and hope are related terms, but without faith you cannot have hope. If I don't have faith that something good is going to happen or some blessing is going to come or that somehow God is going to work all things together for good, if I don't have faith in that, there's no reason to have any hope. Faith is required for salvation. Faith is required for hope. Faith is required for obedience. How many of you naturally obey all the time? Is obeying ever difficult? So what is it that enables you to obey when it's difficult? Faith and understanding that if I do this difficult thing, it will be worth it in the end. Something not yet seen is what you're striving after, and you're going after it by faith. I would suggest to you this morning that the fuller and stronger your faith is, the easier it will be to obey. If I have a weak faith, if I have a lack of understanding in the promises of God, it will make it difficult for me to obey. Because when it comes time to choose the fork in the road to obey or not obey, to listen to the guy on this shoulder or listen to the guy on this shoulder, if the the, the choice is easier to follow the one that's not obedient, unless I have some faith that God's promises are true and amen, unless I have some faith that there might be some consequence down that road of evil, if I don't have some faith, some conviction, I may be prone to choose the disobedient way. But if I have faith, a strong faith, a full faith, 
The devil could be screaming all sorts of enticements in my ear, and my faith can say, not today, sir. You go back to where you came from. I'm following Jesus. But that takes faith, doesn't it? It takes faith to obey. It takes faith. It requires faith for salvation. Faith is required to have hope. So let's talk a little bit more about what this faith is. Faith comes from a root word, which means to persuade. Faith is not simply, eh, sure, I believe that. Faith is being persuaded that something is true. And it also has in its root meaning this idea of being bound to something. I am so convicted, I am so persuaded that this is true, that I will bind myself to it. Like an anchor in a storm. Like, like, like uh, just a safe harbor. I will anchor myself to it. I will fix myself to it. It's not something that you just kind of grab onto and then you move away from, but it's something that you are bound together with. This faith persuades us, convicts us, and it tells us that the best thing I should do right now is bind myself to choice A, not choice B. True, strong faith if we have it, will cause us to be bound to obedience in Christ, to do whatever he asks, never even looking over at the option of anchoring myself to something else. It's a persuasion. It's a conviction. We make these kinds of decisions on small scale throughout our lives. When you're ready to make a financial investment, you look at your options. And at some point, you're persuaded to transfer your cash into this investment. Because you are convinced and have faith in and have trust in this portfolio that this company offers. You make these types of decisions when you purchase a car. You do some research. You look at your options. And at some point you become persuaded and you sign some papers and perhaps some sort of financial statement that binds you to making payments on this thing for the next 84 months at whatever percent interest or hopefully not that many months. But you bind yourself to it because you're persuaded and convicted that this is the thing that you're supposed to do. We make these types of decisions when we choose doctors. I am persuaded that this is the doctor I should see for my ailment. I'm persuaded that this is the right babysitter for my kids. And you drop your kids off. You make a commitment. You say, here, watch this child for me while I go out. This is what faith is. Faith is looking at Christ and saying, I choose this, to be bound to it, because I am persuaded, I am convicted that the best thing I can do is to join myself to you, Jesus. And in Romans chapter 4, Abraham is offered as the example of this faith. There's something about his faith, there's something about what his faith led him to do that makes him earn the name father of our faith. There's something about how Abraham lived his life that makes him the prime example in Romans chapter 4 that Paul wants to use as he lays out for the Roman people what faith is that brings about justification. If you go back to what we said in Hebrews 11 about faith and go a little bit further down to verse 8, it says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham, by faith, living in Ur with his family, heard God's voice and left. 
not knowing where he was going, because he was persuaded, convicted, that he should bind himself to God's call on his life and go. Down to verse 17. By faith, <coughs> when he was tested, Abraham offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham had a faith that God would do all that he promised, which led Abraham to be willing to do all the things that God asked. Does your faith in God give you the conviction that you can just do everything he asks without hesitation, without thinking, should I sever myself from God for a moment to go do that thing, or should I stay bound to my God? Does your faith allow you to look at other options? Abraham's faith did not. Abraham's faith in God was that God would do all that he promised, which therefore Abraham decided, I will do all that he asks. Which led Abraham to give up his people, which led Abraham to give up his preference, which led Abraham to give up his prized possession. First, he gave up his people. In Genesis chapter 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. This is, Hebrews is the recap of what happened in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless all who bless you, and he who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. You gone on a trip lately? Did you get out maybe some, some Google Maps? And you checked where some restaurants were, you planned it all out, you knew where you were going, you knew how long you'd be there, and you knew when you'd come home. Just on a side note, if you want to go somewhere, it's a great time to buy a plane ticket. They are cheap. <laughs> but if you're planning on going somewhere, don't you map it out? Abram didn't have GPS. Abram didn't have, you know, Motel 6. He didn't have AAA. He didn't have an iPhone. He didn't. He just went. That was faith. He gave up his people. He left family behind that didn't want to travel with him. Some family, yes, went with him. Others stayed behind. His father died along the way, and he kept going to a land that he didn't know, to a foreign country. He gave up his people. Abraham also gave up his preferences. It says in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 2, because he took his nephew Lot with him, Genesis 13, 2, now Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So what does Abram do? Look, Lot, we're not getting along. Get out of here. Verse 8, then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, 
So now we'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and Lot saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot went east. And Abram got the leftovers. What would lead a guy to do that? He'd already given up his people. He's now the head of this household that's traveling across the wilderness. And he says, you know what? You get first pick. Abram believed God. In Genesis 22, we have yet another story of, of Abram. Abraham giving up something. His, this time he gives up his prized possession. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Hang on a second. Hang on. You know the story of Abraham? 75 when he left Haran. He's somewhere up north of 90, and God promises to give him a son. He thinks it's a little humorous because Sarah's really old and barren and not going to have any kids. So he manufactures a way to have a, a, an Ishmael before he ever has an Isaac. That doesn't work out too good. We know that Ishmael is a young teenager by the time Isaac shows up. So now Abram's even older, and he finally has a son. Now Isaac is a young teenager to being taken up, and God says, you know what? Sacrifice your one and only son. You know the, the, the son I promised you you would have? I want you to kill him. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took his hand, took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, hey, dad, uh, I'm here with you, but, and there's fire and there's wood, but what are we killing? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went of them, went together. At that point, Abraham had no other option but to be obedient and kill his son. But what did he else did he have? Faith that God would provide. Abraham so, had so much faith that God would do all that he promised that Abraham would do all that God asked. Abraham was persuaded, convinced, that being to bound to God through obedience would result in the greatest blessing and the disobedience was not an option. Abraham was rewarded for his faith. God, was, God calls him righteous in the New Testament. Abraham's belief in God led him to obey. His obedience then was by faith. He lived by faith. He moved by faith. He obeyed by faith. He made his decisions by faith. And what was his faith in? Was his faith in the promises of God? Or was his faith in God himself? You see, it says throughout Romans chapter 4, verse 3. <coughs> verse 3 says, 
Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In verse 17, hang on. In verse 17, it says, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Abraham's faith was not in the promise of God. Abraham's faith was in the God of the promise. Abraham was so willing to forgo the promise of God in order to please his God that it led him to give up his prized possession, who was the promise of God. Isaac was called the son of the promise. Isaac was the flesh and bones that was the promise. And Abraham was even willing to say, God, I have so much faith in you, and I want to obey you that I will even give up the promise if I can just honor you. In a similar way, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 3, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Paul says, if I could be unsaved so you all could be saved, I would do it. Because Paul was more interested in God getting the glory for saving as many people as possible than he was worried about he himself being the recipient of any of God's promises. Because when it comes to the choice of God or God's promises, God wins every time in Abraham's mind. God wins every time in Paul's mind. Does God win every time in my mind and yours? Abraham's faith in God led him to believe that God would do all that he promised. So that gave Abraham the freedom to do all that he asks. Am I there? Are we there? What are God's promises to us? He's promised to provide. He's promised to love. He's promised to protect. But what if God asked me to give up something of one of those promises in order to obey him? Abraham was willing to sacrifice the son of the promise because he had that much faith in God. We have people in this church who sacrifice a lot because they have faith in God. And I, will, I could list very quickly a list of heroes of the faith, those who sacrifice their time to prepare and to execute the ministry that we run for kids here. Some are downstairs right now, sacrificing and serving. Those who work in our pantry to go pick up food and deliver food and work while service is going on and to work during the week to make sure that's ready. Our prayer warriors who spend time on the phone with one another and who gather in small groups on Mondays and Wednesdays to pray. Teachers who lead small groups of children and youth 
those who spend time cleaning up around here when no one else will do it, the deacons who don't get a paycheck, the elders who don't get a paycheck but faithfully steward the finances and the building of this church, who faithfully help shepherd this congregation, those who lead worship, those who lead women's ministry, men's ministry, the list goes on and on of heroes of the faith who are doing things for God. And these are all commendable things. But these things that they're doing are not earning them any position with God. They're simply a reflection of their faith in God that they already have. What has God asked you to do? And this is where I bring the repentance that we prayed about earlier today, really close to home. We prayed this morning for this virus that's going around, that God would stop it. We prayed that God would heal people. We prayed, that, we prayed a prayer of repentance for our nation. But at some point, we have to not hide behind our nation's sins and be willing to admit our own. Where is my faith in God? What obedience has he called me to do that I am not doing? If I have, as I said before, a, a rubric by which I assess my godliness or whether I'm good with God, and that's been something I've been using for years and I've never changed it, well, God wants you to change it. He wants you to dig deeper than you ever have before to find those things in you that, that he's, he's changing and transforming and he wants to get out of you. Those fears, those, those inability to obey at certain times, he wants to deal with that. And when it comes to what we're dealing with right now in our culture, there are some of us who may have to repent of hoarding because I'm more worried about me than I'm worried about my neighbor may have to repent of wanting to live safe. More concerned about me not getting the virus than me having an opportunity to minister to someone who might already have it. And I'm not asking you to be foolish for foolishness sake. But if God calls you to love somebody, you better love them. Repentance for comfort possessions and preferences and position, those things that Abraham gave up when he left his people and left the comforts of his homeland, that he gave up his preference over which side of the mountain he wanted to go on and gave it to Lot, the, the possession of, of Isaac, which he readily gave up. Are there comforts, possessions, preferences, positions? Are there things that, that you and I are holding on to that we need to be willing to let go of? So we can repent for our nation for these heinous sins of you know, abortion or homosexuality, or we can make this big list of things that our country has done horribly wrong in God's eyes. But we dare not hide behind that as Christian people because we have enough repentance of our own to do. Have I been selfish in my walk? And I believe the thing that, that will help us take large strides forward is asking God to strengthen our faith to have an understanding that because God has promised to do all that he said he would do, then I can commit to doing all the things he's asked me to do. Abraham did it by faith. We are called by faith to do the same. Don't hide behind fears. Don't hide behind comfort. Don't hide behind positions and possessions and preferences. Let that stuff go. And if you have to invade your stockpile to give to someone who has need, it's time we as a church do that. If you need to have an uncomfortable conversation that you're struggling with how to bring it up, it's time to do that.
it's time to be obedient to what God has called us to. And if we don't, we can expect that we'll be leaving blessings on the table. We'll be leaving our relationship with God at an arm's length instead of embracing it and letting it come close to where it can truly change us. So I'm going to end this morning with a call to repentance. And these are things I've, I've dealt with in my own life in the last two weeks. God, have I made an idol of any possession, any position, any preference, any comforts? Is there something that, that I've put in front of me that's more important than you, God? I believe God is calling us to a moment through Romans chapter 4 to say, is my faith counted as righteousness? Am I truly obeying God like that? Have I bound myself to him? Am I convicted that I need to live 100% for God? Or do I just like the truths of the Christian life and I sign up for all the blessings that come to me without the sacrifice? Abraham signed up for the sacrifice. We need to be willing to do that as well. God, I thank you this morning that you are gracious enough to give us times like this where we can repent. God, for the great things that you have wanted to do through individuals in this church, myself included, that haven't happened because we got in the way of ourselves doing it, God, we repent. We want to go the other way, Lord. We want to be used by you to help fulfill your promises to the world. Not just worry about how you're going to fulfill your promise to me, God. But God, I want to be used to be part of the way that you fulfill your promise to the world around us. And God, I need bigger faith if I'm going to do that. You need to increase my faith. You need to help me be bound so much more to you, Jesus, than I ever have before. So that in confidence, I can live the life of surrender and love that you've called me to. God, for my brothers and sisters, would you increase their faith? So the great things that you want to do through them to fulfill your promises to the world would become so much more important to them than how you're going to fulfill your, promise, your promises to them. God, give me a conviction to trust you so that like Abraham, I can be willing to give up possessions, position, preferences. Help me, God, to have your heart for this world. For your heart was one that gave yourself up. Your heart was one that said, I will go and love a people that's unlovable. Would you help my heart to be the same, Lord? Help our heart as a congregation to be the same. That we would go and serve you as you've called us to do. God, I thank you for this time with my brothers in Christ. Use this moment as one to propel us forward for the glory of your kingdom and the fulfilling of your promises to those around us. In Jesus' name.
Amen.